0: Christ revealed. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: Down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way. And who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down.
2: way is not easy. I've been battling from the time I was a small child to understand this way, this way to Jesus. I've seen many things in the lives of men and women, and I'm terrified at what I see. We're going to talk about that today. I welcome Alexandra, my wife, to join me again in studio for this broadcast. Welcome. Welcome. There are two stories we want to talk about very briefly and then dive right into the full topic. In the story of Pentecost, After the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and gives the first sermon under the new covenant, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Basically, he says to them, You murdered the Messiah. And he warned them with many words to flee from their sin. And to receive the Messiah, Jesus. The scriptures tell us those listening, the men, were cut to the heart. And they said, What must we do to be saved? And they were told to repent, that their sins could be forgiven, or effeminate removed. That they could be made clean now when we go to the book of acts once more one of the deacons by the name of Stephen recounted the history of God working with the children of Israel and over and over God worked with such marvelous grace to deliver them from every difficulty to bring them into the promised land. He told accurately these Jewish leaders the story of God's deliverance. Finally, in chapter 7, verse 51, and I'll read it for you, he finally breaks down if you if you please, he just loses it. And he cuts right to the heart of the chase. He stops recounting the history. He didn't share the story of the Maccabeans and the deliverance that God granted them. Instead, he cuts right to the heart of the issue. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, and you do? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed the ones having announced beforehand concerning the coming of the righteous one, of whom you have now become traitors and murderers, who received the law by direction of angels, and you kept it not. Now hearing these things, they are being cut to the heart and begin grinding their teeth at him. We have Peter telling one group of men, you have murdered the Messiah. Their hearts are cut, and they say, what must we do to be saved? In the story of Stephen, their heart is also cut. But instead of saying, what must we do to be saved? They become very, very angry. And the Bible puts it graphically, they began to grind their teeth at him. They were angry. Being full of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us that he began to look, not upon the things of the earth, but he began to look into the heavens And there he saw a vision. Here we have the men who are cut to the heart, but instead of repenting, instead of asking, what what must we do to be saved? They are grinding their teeth. They are enraged. And so he's looking into heaven. He sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, usually... It's pictured as Jesus seated at the right hand of God. But now Jesus is standing on his feet for Stephen. Oh, how much I want Jesus to stand to his feet for you. I don't want you to grind your teeth in rage, in self-righteousness. I want you to say, What must I do to be saved? That's hard when you think you're already saved. How are you going to deal with that? Peter just told them they're not saved, they're murderers. They've killed the Messiah. Look, I see the heavens being opened and the Son of Man having stood at the right hand of God. Son of man was the favorite term Jesus used for himself. Then they, having cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed headlong upon him with one mind, and having cast him out of the city, they went to throwing stones at him. And the witnesses took off their garments and laid them at the feet of a young man being called Saul, And they were stoning Stephen while he was calling and saying, Lord Jesus, please receive my spirit. Then having bowed the knees, he cried out with a loud voice, O Lord, may you not lay this sin to their charge. And after having said this, he fell asleep. He died, probably with his head smashed in with rocks by these angry, angry men. Now, this is very troubling to me Alexandra and the reason it's so troubling to me is that I see we are facing a wall with our precious listening audience with our congregation on the air and the thousands of downloads we're facing a wall I don't know how to break through that wall. I spent the morning on my face crying out to God about you. I don't know how to help break through this wall. Let me try to describe the wall. A man says, I love Jesus. A man says, I've seen over and over that God has granted me what I've asked of him. I've asked for a job and he's given me a job. I've asked the Lord if he would give me a a house and he's given me a beautiful condo. He's given me a beautiful automobile. But I still lack some things in my life. I want a normal, happy life in America. That's the wall as I began to confront him with a reality of giving himself wholly unto Jesus, to give his money, his time, his energy. I said to him, there are some who give much more than a tithe. He said, Pastor, I can only give what I can give. I said, oh, I understand. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm saying that your money still belongs to you and you portion it out according to your best advantage. And you're willing to give God a tithe to ensure that he will bless you because you want some additional things from God. And if you don't get them, you're going to leave the gospel of Jesus. And he began to groan. Literally, he began to groan on the on the telephone as I spoke with him. He knew what I was saying was true. He said, I'm supposed to surrender then. Yes. You leave the whole realm of this world. You no longer desire the entertainment of this world. You no longer desire the professional sports of this world. You no longer desire the movies, the wickedness, the darkness. You no longer desire the sexual uncleanness. You no longer desire the drugs. You no longer desire anything of this world and this flesh. Your mind is set upon Jesus Christ. So as I was sharing lunch with Alexandra, I asked her a very simple question. Alexandra, have you made the decision that you will utterly, totally, and completely give yourself up to Jesus Christ and you will only receive from his hand what he chooses to give you. Have you made that decision? Yes. You don't even hesitate? No. All right. How do you live that out?
3: Could you be more specific?
2: Yeah. What's it look like as you're a Christian? And what do you see Of those who refuse to make that decision in reality. How do you live out what you've just said? And, you know, maybe we even ought to ask you how did you come to that decision?
3: Yeah, so I think that there is definitely a need for a person to understand why they need to give everything to Jesus. Because otherwise, like you said, you end up in a situation where, like this young man you're talking about, he's just trying to add God on because he wants something. So I think it's important that we see the vanity of life and that we really recognize that we're all going to die. So I, thought, I saw this graphically illustrated when there was a family I knew and the grandmother lived with the family. And the mom and the grandmother were always fighting. And then the grandmother suddenly had a stroke, and it seemed like she was going to die. And the mother was talking to me, and she was saying how bad she felt about all of the arguments that she'd had with her mother. And she said, I, I really should have been treating my mother well all these years. And it's that perspective of realizing we are all going to die that detaches us from this lust of the world that you're talking about. You can look at, if you look at the Egyptian pharaohs, they would be buried with, you know, their pets or their prized possessions that they wanted to carry in. And the truth is you can't carry in anything. So if you work your whole life to have a house or a car or your perfect family, well, you can't take any of that with you. After you die, the only thing that you're going to take with you is your own soul. And then if you, if you've led anyone else to Jesus, that's all that you're going to take with you.
2: So you've made that decision.
3: Yeah. So for me personally, I recognize that I had been created. I didn't believe that I just randomly evolved. And so I knew that if I'd been created by God, that it had been for a specific purpose. And unless I surrendered my life to God, then my whole life was meaningless because I wasn't actually living for the purpose I'd been created. So that was when I began to really seek after God. And at the time, I wasn't uh, in any kind of Christian environment. I I wasn't even looking at Christianity. I didn't own a Bible. But I... I was really concerned about morality. And I was trying as hard as I could to do the right thing. And I just hit a total dead end. And I recognized that I couldn't do it. And I was trying to speak to God and ask what my purpose in life was. And God wouldn't speak to me. And that was just crushing. Because what I wanted more than anything was to be in union with God. And so... Rather miraculously, somebody I was very close with was born again in front of my eyes and began witnessing to me. And then that was how I saw that there is a real spiritual transformation that happens in Christianity. And I began to read the Bible. And one of the th- one of the first books I read was Ecclesiastes. And I think this is an awesome book at really describing what the condition of man is of mankind so we begin to see in chapter 2 verses 15 to 21 the preacher says and then said i in my heart as it happeneth to the fool so it happeneth even to me he's talking about dying and why was i then more wise then i said in my heart that this also is vanity for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten and how dieth the wise man as the fool you can make this really practical if you think about your your family so you probably know your grandfather's name maybe you know your great grandfather's name but past that i mean people have no clue usually who their family even was and you could have had some illustrious ancestry in Europe with castles and people who were fabulously wealthy or they could have been desperately poor and you don't even know. And think about those people were doing the same thing that many Americans are doing now. They were pursuing wealth. They were pursuing the fine things in life. But they died. They don't have those things anymore and no one even remembers them. They don't even remember that they ever existed. So Ecclesiastes continued, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knows whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that has not labored shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. And a big part of this too is to recognize that this death that we're facing is only a result of our sin. So God did not create us with the intention that we would die. But it's because we've all sinned, we all die. So we, I should have died the first time I ever sinned, which was when I was a child. And so it's really important to recognize that it is actually a great evil, as the Bible says, that we live in such a difficult you know it calls it vexation of spirit world and then we die and we have to face the judgment he elaborates this throughout the whole book of ecclesiastes in chapter 3 verse 16 he says moreover i saw under the sun the place of judgment that wickedness was there and the place of righteousness that iniquity was there i said in my heart God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. This is what Ray's been talking about, asking asking that God would show you that you're a beast, not that you're uncouth, but that you're going to die and to really recognize that as reality. Verse 19, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity, and all go into one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. As you go into chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. If you've really honestly tried to pursue material wealth, you've probably realized that your lust just continues to grow the more you pursue it. It continues, Nor he that loveth abundance be satisfied with silver. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof? Saving the beholding of them with their eyes. So I recognize this, I, I read this maybe within a month after I became a Christian. And before I was converted, I was a compulsive shopper. And I recognize this was true about myself. You know, I just bought so much stuff that I couldn't even use or even remember what I had and like it says here what good is it except to just look at it it's you can't even use it and, go ahead
2: you know this this is the struggle that that we're talking about and and the lukewarm and you know whether your heart is lukewarm or whether it's burning with fire for Jesus you know whether you're winning the lost or whether you have not won anyone to Jesus And some of you are willing to go into a philosophical explanation, but you have no children you have brought to Jesus. But you have an intellectual philosophical explanation for why you could not do that. And so we've made, in America, an accommodation between the church and the world and we're comfortable with both. We know how to hang out with Jesus at the church, and we know how to hang out with the world at the club or wherever we go, the the debating society or the place of work. And the problem is there's no fire for Jesus. There's no earnest prayer. There are no nights of weeping before God for the lost. There's no... There's no commitment. Alexandra, as we've been talking, one of the things you said to me was, yes, I made that decision, but then I've had to walk that decision out. It's not just a matter of saying, I'll serve Jesus. It's coming into an understanding. Well, let me read it for you. It's found in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Let me turn there quickly for you. Matthew, the 16th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 25. If anyone wills to come after me, he must deny himself, must take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever may will to save his life will lose it, But whoever may lose his life for my sake will find it. We are literally speaking here. Now, please, I'm not speaking figuratively. I am speaking literally. If you do not deny yourself the world, the flesh, and the devil, if you love the things of the world, you cannot be saved. You must be transferred from the kingdom of darkness or the realm of darkness to the kingdom of light. It is a literal translation. It is moving from one spatial area to another. And the problem is, most of you are in the twilight zone. You're not really in the world, and you're not really in Jesus. You love the things of the world, you love the entertainment, you love the music, you love the, the luxury. You love Jesus and the idea of going to heaven, and you make your request to Jesus, and he's even answered many of your prayers. But bottom line, your lifestyle is no different than the world's lifestyle. You spend your money the same way. You go to the same places of entertainment. You have the same goals. Same objectives. You want to retire. You want to travel. You want to live the good life after you've stored up all that is necessary. Remember Jesus' parable about the man who stored up everything in his barn? And Jesus said, you fool, tonight your life is going to be taken. And then who's going to have all that you've stored up? I've seen and spoken with men, Alexandra, who have said to me, Pastor, I've laid up enough in retirement that if I'm careful, my money will last until I'm ready to go to heaven. And I say, what? What? What about the kingdom of God? Where is retirement in the scriptures? Most of my friends have retired. And I'm saying, what? You've retired? You've retired to what? Have you retired to the kingdom of God? No, I've retired to doing things around the house and I've retired to traveling I've retired to having time to just go to the football game and I've retired to having time for fishing and really? Is that what your life is about? That's horrendous. It's wicked. It's rejection of Jesus. Because your life is still in this world and not found in Jesus. Oh, pastor, I have to have my retirement money laid aside. Oh, then you don't know how to go to Jesus for resources, do you? You don't know how to give yourself in ministry to others so that Jesus has an opportunity to provide you with what you need. No, you have to do it yourself. You have to build your barn bigger and store up everything.
3: And I would say that underlying that, that type of behavior is if you were just to logically think about it, let's say you retire and you live for 20 years and then you die. And so you, you spent maybe 20 or 25 years of your life putting aside all this money so that you could then live for another 20 years and then die. But let's think about if you were really identifying with the interests of Christ and you saw his interests which is the advancement of the gospel, breaking of sin throughout the whole world, slaves being made free, prisoners being cared for, orphans and widows being taken care of, if those really become your interests, then the investment that you're making has an eternal payoff, if you will. Not that we're serving God for a payoff, but even if you were to apply the same type of thinking why would you spend your whole life preparing for 20 years before you die when you could spend your life serving Jesus and then all of that goes with you into eternity so I think it goes back to just a basic underlying rejection of the fact that we are all going to die and we are going to face a judgment for everything that we've done
2: so what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and suffers the loss of his soul the problem is many today do not believe they will suffer the loss of their soul because they've been lied to and they've been dumbed down and so they are not energetic and earnest about following jesus they're earnest about getting the donuts ready at church They're earnest about living a good life. They're earnest about loving their wife and their grandkids or their children. They're earnest about getting the next good job, about the interview that's coming up. They're earnest about the new car they need to buy and the vacation they want to take. You know, last week, we had a honeymoon. And we stayed at the Wyndham Hotel Resort in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was very nice. We enjoyed it immensely. We had a a one-room apartment with full kitchen and living room. How much did we have to pay for that? Nothing. Jesus covered it. He sent us. When you begin to live in a way that you wait on Jesus and you receive only from his hand what he chooses to give you, your whole life transforms. When you make a decision that you're going to leave the values, you're going to leave the practices of this world, and you're going to focus your whole energy on saving the lost, You're going to focus your whole energy on loving Jesus Christ and loving his people. Your whole life changes. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go to work every day and do the very best you can do. I do that. Alexandra does that. We do the work God has assigned to us. And he flows to us what he chooses to give us. We don't grumble or fight for dollars. We wait on Jesus. And some of you, Jesus has been very gracious in flowing to you resources through your job. But if that becomes your focus, and you settle into this wicked America luxurious lifestyle, and that's what you go after, and you want the car, and you want the house, and you want the clothes, and you want the the social respect, and you want your ambitions to be fulfilled, and you want the luxurious vacations, and you want, you want, you want, and you go after, you will lose your life. You will die. You will go to hell. So you don't need
3: more information in order to make a decision to give yourself completely to Jesus. So you begin with the light that you have. And it's like we were talking about yesterday with the wedding vow. So you make that commitment to Jesus that you're going to love him and give yourself completely to him for better, for worse, whether you're poor or rich, whether you're sick or healthy. And then you have to actually walk that out. And I say... You don't need more information because you are already responsible according to what you already know. Otherwise, God could not in justice condemn you to hell for your sin. So you already know your guilt. You already know that you have not given yourself to Jesus. And whether you're covering that over or not with an excuse is really irrelevant. So... You make that decision, you come to Jesus, you make that decision, and then as you begin to read the scriptures and you begin to pray, then you get a greater sense of what your duty is to God. So for example, when I became a Christian, I had only ever read, I want to say, the first three chapters of Genesis. I'd read almost nothing. And I went to church the next day for the first time in probably 15 years, and the sermon was about the Christian duty And we began in Matthew, and I didn't even know where Matthew was, I didn't know the books of the Bible, but he read when Jesus gave the call, he said to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the preacher began to explain that it's the responsibility of every Christian to bring other people to Jesus. And then he started to give us really practical insights on how to do this, and how you know, we didn't have to go and study more. We just had to share what we already knew, what Jesus had done in our lives, share the scriptures we did know. And he even said something along the lines of, if you don't know anyone who isn't a Christian, you need to get out of your Christian bubble. So I was just sitting there in the pew, a brand new one day old Christian. And I'm, I'm just terrified because I'm like, my responsibility as a Christian is I'm supposed to make other people Christians. This sounds terrifying, but that's that's what I mean. I didn't back away from that. I didn't say, well, never mind, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I stuck to that original commitment, and that's where your faith comes in because you say, okay, well, if God requires me to do this, then I believe that he'll give me the grace to do it.
2: And, of course, following Jesus always begins in prayer. On your face before God. And as you begin to focus your mind and your attention on Jesus, the things of the world grow strangely dim. They fade into the woodwork, and your focus becomes more and more Jesus. And then as you begin to hear his heart for the lost, you begin to see more clearly the unrighteousness of the people around you perhaps even those who call themselves Christians. I mean, I was with a group of men, all of whom would say they were Christians. And one of the men was describing how he had cussed out, swore at someone who would made him very angry, and he felt very proud about that. They deserved a cussing out. Taking the name of the Lord in vain, cursing. Everybody kind of laughed. Yeah, he deserved that. You gave it to him. What? What kind of people are we? Self-centered? Focused on our own desires? Focused on what we think we want? And we think that's about Jesus? Totally everything changes when we have our focus totally on the person of Jesus and then we take the next step and we begin to pray about our friends we begin to pray for our wife for our husband for our children we begin to cry out to god and as we focus more and more our attention the emotions are aroused in our heart for their behalf their salvation our concern grows for them.
3: Yes, and it's equally important that we're reading the scripture during this process because God's perspective is revealed to us in the Bible, and it's radically different than the average perspective you get just by going out in the world. So you can't honestly read and believe the Bible and not begin to have some strong feelings of concern about those around you. So for example,
2: and about your own heart.
3: Yes. If there be a problem. So let's begin reading. This is Ecclesiastes eight verses nine through 13. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Then he says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him but it shall not be well with the wicked neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow because he feareth not before God so this is the only way you're really going to get around thinking well you know i can just keep doing this sin over and over because nothing bad is happening to me you're only going to start to change that thinking if you really begin to see what the Bible actually says.
2: Again in Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23. Now he was saying to all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Deny once and for all. Totally deny once and for all. And he must take up his cross, and he must follow me. What would happen in your life if you made the decision today that you would simply follow Jesus? You would read the scriptures, and you would put into practice everything you found there. You would simply obey the word of Jesus. You would give up your cultural understanding of Christian faith, You would give up everything and simply search after Jesus. Some great men and women in the past did exactly that. At great personal price. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. We could think of many others who gave up everything to follow Jesus. The Salvation Army was at one time Literally an army of righteousness, not of an NGO, not a a do good. It was literally for the salvation of men and women. And they would stand on the street corners, scorned in their uniforms as they played the trumpet, the trombone, as they sang their songs, and then as they preached the word, they were sold out. I want to say to you, revival must begin with me and with you, with Alexandra. Revival must come in America or America will be destroyed. And it means you can no longer be laid back, casual, fat, and happy. There has to be a fire ignited in your heart that you will seek after Jesus, you will forget all of your worldly wisdom. Some of you are so sure you know how everything works. I simply ask you, will you apply the acid test? Do you have disciples that you have brought to Jesus Christ? Do you have a flock of men and women, boys and girls, that you've brought to Jesus? No, I don't mean you've helped people. Worldly people help other people. Worldly counselors counsel other people. I'm not talking about helping in the process of being a good American. I'm talking about, do you have men and women that you have shared the gospel with by testimony of life and word and earnest prayer? Do you have disciples that you have brought to Jesus when you stand before Jesus, will you be able to say in Jesus, Here is the fruit I bring to you? Do you? If you don't, you're in trouble with Jesus. You're in trouble. Now, you can gnash your teeth at me, and you can even throw stones at me, or you can let your heart be cut and say, What must I do, Pastor? And begin to earnestly seek after Jesus. Begin to cry out in the prayer closet. Some of you have not been earnest in your prayer for many years, if ever. Many of you have not opened the scriptures and just read for enjoyment the word of the living God. But you've spent much time on the internet, and the cell phone, the movies, the entertainment of the world. Oh, you might have had a discipline. I'll read a devotional in the morning and then I'm on my way. You may have shot prayers at heaven seeking a parking place or some other thing. No, I'm talking about where you earnestly come into the presence of Jesus and say, I must be renewed. I must be revived. I must have my heart set on fire for Jesus. Do you have that today? If you don't, you're in trouble because you are murdering the son of the living God you are crucifying afresh Jesus by your lukewarm cold attitude toward the most precious man who ever walked on the face of the earth Jesus our Lord and father who who is in heaven who loves us Ephesians, the first chapter, says every possible gift has been poured out for us. Nothing in heaven has been reserved and held back. God is not withholding from you. It's we who withhold from him. So what happens next? What happens next for these men and women? You said they could make a decision now. I mean, Anmol, as I was speaking with this young man, every time I would bring him to the point of saying, okay, you can make a choice, he would say, but pastor, I have another question. I need to ask another question. Why does everybody else have all of this stuff and all of this happiness and all of this life and I don't have it, but pastor, why can't I have it? How would you answer?
3: Well at the, at the at our prayer meeting on Tuesday one of the brothers said something that I think is an appropriate answer. He said as he's been reading through the New Testament again he says he realizes over and over it's saying I'm responsible. I'm responsible. And so I sometimes say indecision is a decision. If you're just saying, well, I need more time or I need more information or I need to think about it. Your decision is actually a rejection of Jesus. So you need to actually just take responsibility for just... It's, it's the most wicked thing that you could do to refuse to give yourself to God. Because he created you. He upholds your life. I mean, would you, if you had a child and your child just spent every moment cursing at you and refused to do anything you asked the child to do, probably, like, within a couple days, you would be wishing that you had never given birth to that child. Now, imagine that going on for years and years and years. And that's what it's like. God isn't under any obligation to keep giving someone breath who is using that breath to speak curses against him.
2: And they may not be curses as we would think of it. It may just be totally ignoring him and living our religious life.
3: Right, but the key is that if you're not actively involved in building the, the kingdom, kingdom of, of God, God, then you're part of you're part of the problem. you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem
2: we'll soon be announcing revival meetings on Monday night I need you to begin to pray for those revival meetings and if you need to be revived I need you to be present at that meeting we're going to give you the information as it comes but very soon those revival meetings will begin And I also want to invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel where revival is happening right now, where men and women are coming alive in Jesus. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. You need to make a decision. Do you need the fire and love of Jesus to be reignited in your heart and in your life? Are you tired of walking in the way of this world and you desire something much different, much deeper, much more intense? I tell you honestly, Alexandra and I want only one thing. We want you to be saved. We love Jesus. And we're sold out for him. And we want you to be sold out for Jesus. We want you to make a decision today for Jesus.
3: Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil.
2: Now, if your heart is touched by this broadcast and you would choose to give, right now we need probably $5,000 in equipment, improvement, both for the YouTube video, for our communication with the radio station, a new soundboard. There's much that we need to improve and change to be able to reach an even wider congregation. If you would like to give to help support this Revival Outreach Ministry, Pilgrim's Progress, would you send your offering, sacrificial offering, to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can donate, but also you can go to all of the podcasts. You can go to Twitter. Where?
3: You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook under National Prayer Chapel. And again, the webpage is nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll be able to subscribe and to read blog posts.
2: We love you. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. We pray your heart's been touched. I'm Ray Greenley, my wife Alexandra, from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon